Thanks, everybody, for joining the podcast. Today, we have Gregory Fee. Currently, he works for Okta as a data and ML principal architect. Greg, thanks for joining. How are you doing today? I'm great, Dante. How are you? Good. Uh, just a quick heads up for viewers. Uh, I'm currently in St. Louis, where we're having an unseasonably warm early December day. It's uh, almost 70 degrees, but I think we would all be jealous of Greg, who is currently in Maui. Yeah, South Maui specifically, where it never rains. Um, I had to do this. It was for my mental health. So don't uh, don't you know judge me. Great. Um, so you are a class of uh, 1999 graduate of the engineering school. You did a, a bachelor's um, with a major in computer science, if that's correct. Yeah, the, yeah, I did the BS and CS. I don't know if there's still the the BS in applied sciences, uh, but um, yeah, we can we can we can dive into that. Sure. Um, if you want to start, maybe with um, going back a little bit, why you decided to go to WashU, or how that kind of came about. For sure. So um, I, I'm one of the locals. So my my family uh, lives out in Chesterfield. Um, moved there and. 87 um and not just not just a local by proximity my mom uh took a job at wash u in 1988 so i i knew from a young age given wash u's amazing uh benefits of free tuition for employees kids that i was going to go to wash u my, my parents were pretty much like hey kid make sure your grades and your test scores are good enough to get in because uh, otherwise you're paying for college. Yeah. So you're um, strongly motivated to go to Wash U. Yeah. There was really no, no serious other option. I could have gone to Mizzou, which is my parents' uh, alma mater, but, um, you know, Wash U is uh, definitely a superior school. And um, uh, at the time, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And, you know, Wash U is, is definitely like the medical school, it's one of the best in the world. So, seemed like a good good match. Right. So you get accepted into WashU. You start undergrad in arts and sciences because you're pre-med. Yeah. And then uh, presumably uh, first semester, fall, freshman year, you're taking um, one of like bio or chem 101. How did you decide to do the CS 101? Uh, I actually had come in with a little bit of credit um, because of some AP courses. Um, and so I tested out of a couple of things. So I think the way things were set up at the time, like bio started in the spring semester. So fall semester, I kind of didn't know exactly what to do. Um, so I, I had been programming my calculator and stuff in high school. And I saw this like CS 101 class uh, on the, you know, in the, the class list. And I was like, why not? sounds like it would be cool um and just signed up for it and um probably by like the fifth weekend i realized i was in the wrong major um so uh, i thought well yeah i should probably become a, a computer science major but i still thought i was going to be pre-med at the time right which interestingly um you know the traditional pre-med students, I think, um, now are realizing that non-traditional um, tracks to medical school are actually okay and potentially preferential as well as you know, medical schools have, have expanded their pool of applicants to include some of those non-traditional students. So you might, uh, you might have been way ahead of your time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I have a friend who actually did go through the CS major and all the pre-med stuff um and his, his life was was challenging compared to mine because i pretty quickly just decided to focus on computer science by like sophomore year i was 100 percent computer science um i don't want to be a doctor type of uh mindset um but yeah uh i guess the the first piece of advice i can offer people is like don't don't stress about requirements. There, there really is more flexibility than you, than you might imagine in a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. Requirements not only for your degree, but also requirements for individual classes. If, you're, mm. you know, if you think you want to try to take something and it says, oh, it requires this 
uh, other course, um, certainly worth considering talking to the professor about it and seeing if that's going to be your problem or not. Because sometimes it's just we have to require it, but we're not going to check. Um, just as a side note for listeners, uh, so you started freshman year was uh, 1995, if my math is correct. Yes. And, and just to level set so people understand, you know, JavaScript and Java kind of were just introduced around that time period. Uh, the current president was Bill Clinton. Gas prices were about a dollar nine. So, you know, dramatically different um, in, in some senses where we are now. Uh, and also you mentioned, because um, I'm two years behind you, I'm, I'm class of 01. I was one of the first classes of CS 101 in Java, and you were one of the last ones in Scheme, and also my TA, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I really was the last CS 101 in Scheme um, for since that's not the most popular language in the world. Scheme is a functional programming language, uh, sort of similar to Lisp. Um, even Lisp probably isn't that popular at this point, so um, you know you can look it up. Um, but yeah, so the, the curriculum has changed quite a bit since I started in it. Um, and actually I was just thinking before, uh, joining this, like, I think most of the professors are different too, but you know, Ron Citron's still there. So, you know, there, yeah. there are, there are still some connections in the department. Yeah. Uh, Roger Chamberlain's still there as well. Uh, Doug Schmidt is still around. He moved to another school, um, certainly but yeah a lot of people you know that we were there still still kicking it including chris gill who was a doctoral student i believe when we started and graduated and is now teaching uh full-time so as you're going through your career you so you've decided after freshman year you you want to take uh cs you, you drop the pre-med stuff what uh what were some of your favorite classes or favorite professors well, I mean, we can start at the beginning, like CS 101. Um, I didn't know what I'd think of that class. And it got to the point by like the, you know, probably be, even before that fifth week when I realized I wanted to major, like I realized I had um, gotten the homework assignment sheet uh, and, and things were printed out back then. Uh, you know, who knows? Right. Um, and, and walked from the lecture hall to the closest computer I knew I could use, sat down and started doing the homework, right? Like I, I could not, I couldn't even get back to my dorm room. I was like so excited to like start trying this stuff. Um, so, I mean, CS 101 was amazing. CS 102 was, was pretty horrible. Uh, and then when it got into things, uh, I don't know if how many of the courses still have the same name, but then like, 201 had a great professor uh, and it really get, get got down to like if the professors were you know good or not but like 201 was yeah, great discrete systems where you learned logic basically right um great professor there great content uh 241 the like initial algorithms course was uh taught by sally goldman at the time um totally totally amazing course um and then 441, the follow-up on that, the advanced algorithms, um, also taught by Sally, um, I think almost destroyed everyone who was in there, but it was so worth it. Yeah. Um, but probably the the course that was most influential on me and my career is 431, the compilers course uh, that Ron Citron taught. Um, I I just, I, I, I couldn't believe how much I liked it. Um, and really, like, I got out of WashU and immediately took, like, the next 15 years of my career were totally uh, uh, dedicated to things like language runtimes and uh, compilers. So, Yeah, and it's interesting that I also enjoyed the compilers class, but the relevance to other things. Like, so what I learned in compilers seemed to apply to a lot of areas even though I didn't directly do them in compilers. Like, you know, there was definitely a point where I cracked open the compilers book because I was looking at some kind of um, language creation, kind of uh, DSLs, um, and decided against it. But, you know, it just seemed to make sense for a lot of other use cases, whether it was, you know, the front and back end where taking multiple inputs and having multiple outputs and having a common middle ground, sort of an abstract, ab abstract syntax tree kind of situation or, 
and just a lot of the concepts seem to be relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you want to map between like, hey, I need to present this thing to one set of people, but it like it has to become this other thing on the other side. There's, there's going to be some amount of what you learn in that class involved. Yeah. Um, granted, I, I probably take it too far every time just because I like this stuff so much. God, the thing I'm currently working on, I've got I've got like a three pass compiler going right now. It's pretty sure. pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So are there any classes you feel like were either you didn't take because whatever reason or just weren't offered that you feel like um, would be something that you would suggest for students to look into today? Yeah, so now we're, we're coming back to that BS and CS uh, versus BS and applied sciences thing. Um, uh, I think the extra courses for the BS and CS ends up being some classes that are more geared towards other engineering disciplines. Uh, I don't I don't think I've got gotten a lot of value out of um, some of those SSM 326 maybe. I can't remember, but like there's, there's some math courses um, that are offered that are like, you know, they're, they're very discipline specific. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to focus as much on the CS courses that I could when I wasn't filling out other uh, breadth requirements. Um, but then like the, the course I probably most regret not taking because I'd gotten so tired of math by the time I had sort of filled out the requirements is, is linear algebra. Um, if, if you want to be serious about doing things like uh, machine learning, it's all based on linear algebra. So, you know, um, I would definitely recommend uh, delving into that, uh, at least at least the first course in that. Yeah, and, and those are the things that are a little hard, like to your point, how do you know that ahead of time? Like if, if we had talked in college, what do you think you're gonna be doing in 10 years? I'm sure it would have been difficult for you to predict your current scenario accurately and have an understanding that linear algebra was a go-to class for you, but. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. I, so I, I, mean, I took the artificial intelligence course uh, and we talked about neural networks. And at the time it was like, and these things are so challenging. There's so much like, you know, math you have to do behind the scenes. Like there's a, a serious limit to the power of these. You can't, you know, they're, they're very application specific. And now we're talking about deep learning and these nets that are like, you know, millions of interconnected nodes and having dedicated hardware and all this stuff. So a lot's, a lot's changed in the, in the time between there. So you can't predict everything, but um, so yeah, I, I guess, don't don't get over focused on what is cool now either like you should always just just go with the learning mindset um into everything you do were there any other courses outside of the engineering school that you felt were particularly useful of course not dante <laughs> <laughs> content provided by and supported by the engineering school <laughs> yeah um yeah i i guess uh uh, a little piece of advice that uh, that I I, I probably uh, I was kind of on this straight and narrow in in college. I really just wanted to like take the courses I thought would help me in my career. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that all those like be well rounded and all that stuff was was silly. Um, I guess now as an adult, when I'm not doing my computer stuff, I do think, wow, wait, I had access to all these other classes. And uh, I literally would take like the simplest course that would fill out the like breadth requirement. Like when I was doing breadth requirements, I would took econ classes because they qualified for something, but there was some math there because I just wanted to like focus on math stuff that I could use for computer stuff. Right. Um, I, uh, if you want to be like that, you know, that's cool. But like, if you want to like, you know, take art classes or dance or, you know, whatever, like, please, please do that. Uh, you'll like work life balance is a real thing that, um, you know, will, will affect your mental health. Uh, and you have a lot of, you have a lot of post-college life to, right. uh, to live. So, um, you know, don't, don't use college as just a way of getting a career that's good and make it into a, make, get, get make a life that's good. Yeah. Good advice. Um, 
So the other thing uh, that I mentioned earlier is you were uh, teaching Cisner or TA for a number of CS classes. How did that all come about? Yeah, uh, actually, I, I TA just CS 101 and 102, um, although I did it six semesters. Um, so I, uh, I did it for a long time. Uh, basically, I, I don't know how it came about exactly because I just got an email from Ken Goldman um, towards the end of my freshman year saying, hey, we're going to change the curriculum of CS 101 to Java next year. I'd like you to be a TA. This wasn't just a me. It was like a group of people. Um, would you mind taking CS 101 again informally in the fall just to dry run the class and then be a TA in the spring when we offer it for real the first time. And um, like I had been, uh, my freshman year I had a job as one of the like admins in one of the computer labs and I didn't really love that job. So I thought being a TA would be a more fun way to make some money. Um, and uh, Ken, Ken was such an amazing professor. I thought working more with him would be great. So uh, I just took a leap at it. Uh, didn't didn't really know what to expect. But then I really liked interacting with all of the students uh, and the other TAs. And uh, as a person who's not super social, it was kind of a way that uh, I got to interact with a lot of people and build a lot of relationships. And, and as we discussed, so for example, when I took CS101, which is now 131, uh, you had mentioned it's the, probably the first time it was taught in Java. So I guess I was fall, sort of the second time. There were almost 200 students in my class. And you said there were like 10 TAs or something like that? I think, yeah, I think that's, we ended up right around there, uh, about right. probably 180 students and 10 TAs, some, somewhere in there. I yeah. mean, and that was at the time the biggest the biggest class we had ever had going through that course. Uh, I think when I took it just two years prior, it was only 80. Right. Uh, and that had been the biggest. Right. Right. Ever. So this is, this is all like, it's sort of the beginning of that, you know, boom of uh, interest in all of this stuff. Yeah. And that meteoric rise, if you will, has, has continued. And, and, you know, as we discussed, the 131 numbers are just out of control. It's officially the biggest class on campus, bigger than, you know, kind of those entry level bio or chem uh, 100. So it's above three to 400, I think, um, in just the 131 class. So it's, it's pretty intense. And there's probably more TAs now than I had in my class almost. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the incredible thing is probably we're still not training enough people in these disciplines for to, to satisfy what the industry needs. Right. So as so as a TA, you found uh, camaraderie and, you know, do you still talk to those folks that you TA'd with or? Yeah, a bunch of them. I mean, it's been, uh, you know, more than 20 years since I graduated. And, you know, people have families and we've moved all over the world and stuff. But um you know, I keep in touch with a bunch of them, including you occasionally, mm -hmm. um, you know, but there, there's a bunch of people. Um, I mean, what, one of the people I TA'd, uh, and this sort of segues into some stuff I think we wanted to talk about, uh, is like, I, I worked with now in two different jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, and he directly got me the first job. So, it's, you know, it's, th these are the relationships you form in, in doing all this, like, are, are important and enduring. Right. So speaking of which, so you're, you're cruising through, you, you know, you have some successes and some challenges, uh, as you mentioned, 441, the advanced algorithms class. My gosh, I didn't think I was ever going to pass that. If I did not have friends that helped me figure some stuff out, like, I don't, I don't think I would have made it by myself. Um, so you're, you're, you know, spring 99, how did the first job come about? What does that story look like? Uh, yes, yeah, so we actually need to back up for that one. So okay. um, there, I, uh, my junior year, I guess, um, I was hanging out in TA because uh, I spent like almost all my time in the computer lab, just, just chilling, either doing actual work or talking to people. Um, someone was like, 
hey, um, what are you doing this this summer? And I was like, nothing, <laughs> um, which is my favorite. And someone's like, well, you know, you should, you should get an internship. And I was like, okay, like go down to the career center right now. There's like companies, like representatives there today that will do it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I went down there and the Microsoft people were there and I signed up and they took me in there and they asked me some questions that uh, I thought were super easy. Um, and, you know, then I, uh, they called me like, and I ended up basically flying to Seattle to interview. And then, uh, so I ended up with an internship, a summer internship at Microsoft. Uh, and I worked on some of the dumbest stuff I've ever worked on. Uh, I was on the Internet Explorer for Unix team. This is this is this is insane. Um, Amazing. Yeah, I mean, talk about a bad product. Um, and I was super bored um, throughout most of my internship. I was not loving it. And literally, I think it was you know my last day was going to be Friday. I was going to fly back to St. Louis. Um, I got pulled into a meeting, uh, I think the Thursday before that, and they, the, the dev manager for the team started talking about like, guys, there's this super secret project that you can't talk about. And I'm like, why am I in this meeting? Uh, but, and he starts describing what uh, the team that ended up being named the .NET runtime team. Uh, you know, this big Java compete project at Microsoft. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be incredible because I thought Java was horrible. And this would be the team that had a real opportunity to to sort of build what Java should be. And so I was super interested in that. So I basically like immediately turned around, went back to my recruiter and was like, hey, I want to work on this team. And it was a super secret team. They, the recruiter literally said, I do not know what you're talking about, but you can come interview in three weeks. Um, like, so it was all very silly, but I, I really wanted to get that job and work on that team. So that's basically um, then, so the spring of, or the really the summer of, uh, after I graduated there, there was, there was my job. Great. So then you're back off to Seattle working yes. on the .NET runtime team. Yeah. Yeah. So then I'm, I moved to Seattle full time uh, and worked on, you know, I, I got pulled into some security stuff, but, um, you know, mostly working on the language runtime, then worked on a few teams within Microsoft. It was there about nine years. So you're at Microsoft for nine years. And then presumably at some point you think maybe I should do something else. Did you get a call from a, a, a friend or how did you move on from there? Um, so yeah, this uh, sort of harkens back to, to some stuff I mentioned earlier. I, I was not doing well on my work-life balance. Uh, and so, you know, I was getting to be, you know, about close to, close to 30, um, was not loving my job anymore. And so I just up and quit uh, one day. <laughs> and I took like eight months off. It was amazing. Uh, I tried to like my own little startup idea that didn't go anywhere. I worked on another guy's startup idea that did go somewhere, but I realized I didn't want to be like on that train. Um, and then quite uh, sort of serendipitously, I found myself at a birthday party in Portland and ran into another WashU grad, uh, Rich Unger. And uh, I, and, you know, admittedly, I was super drunk in this conversation. Um, but Rich, Rich did, didn't live in Portland. So I'm like, Rich, why are you in Portland? <laughs> and how have we, how is it that we've found each other at the same bar? Um, and we got to talking. And I asked him like, where are you working? And he's at Salesforce. And I'm like, do you like it? And he's like, yes, it's great. And I'm like, great, I'll take a job there too. <laughs> so just to, just to give some context, you, you already knew Rich Unger. You were at least, you know, sort of like class level friends with him. Like if you saw him on campus, you'd say hello and talk to him for a while. He was also a CS guy, obviously. 
Uh, so this is not just like you're you're showing your wash UIDs and and you know, just <laughs> yeah no yeah we, this is... we knew each other we had TA'd together right um, we we weren't particularly close but um like you know we had, we had talked many many times uh, yeah. prior to this but right. not not a person I necessarily expected to run into again after college right um he had moved to Mountain View I had moved to Seattle um. You know, the reason we were both in Portland is because another WashU friend of ours had opened a karaoke bar there. <laughs> um, so we ended up in the same karaoke bar together. Um, but yeah, so like, it's just like your your WashU friends will, will be all over the place doing, you know, crazy things. So, uh, you know, live vicariously through them. I don't know. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Or and try to get jobs. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what the advice here is exactly, but right. um, <laughs> um, you know, like relationships are really important. So um, you know, always always try to just maintain them and uh, make them stronger. And I think it's important that you know you recognize the work life balance part because that's something that is definitely not taught and it's difficult to understand. Um, like, oh, yeah, I want to throw myself into this project and work a ton of time on it. And it's something that obviously comes with experience. But, you know, I'm assuming when you say work-life balance, you were working more than just 40 hours a week, uh, Microsoft and other companies as well. You know, you can certainly fall into a trap where you're just working a ton and not realizing how much kind of you're putting into it. Yeah, I mean, you know, if uh, when I was, you know, 18, 20, uh, I, I don't know, my, my uh, sort of emotional intelligence, like my own read on myself was like not great. Um, and so like, you know, but, uh, and if you told me about work-life balance at the time, I would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. I really just love this stuff and I want to do it like crazy. Uh, and that's still true. Um, but like, yeah, it, I, I think it really is true it's like it's a hard thing to teach but like you just have to always kind of check in with yourself and ask yourself like am i am i being healthy right now is is this like is what i'm doing like sort of built out of some anxiety it, am i doing some sort of compensating behavior to make up for the you know, stress i'm feeling and if you are like you know you should you should think about how it is that you can like just make sure you're doing it all in a healthy manner um, and you're not doing like you're not sort of like encouraging yourself into in an unhealthy path right that's great advice and then the other thing too that i thought was interesting is you explored some um of your own startups and then you work with somebody else on a startup and you realized even though that was going to go somewhere that that was not something that you wanted to pursue yeah i mean you know, I had this idea in my head that I thought was going to be awesome. And as soon as I actually created, I was like, this is not awesome. Right. Um, but I couldn't get it out of my head until I tried it. Right. So like, um, and I guess, you know, for, for, for young people right now, um, like, wow, has there never been a better time to create a startup? Uh, there is more VC funding right now. Uh, I think every quarter given out than there was every year only five years ago um so it's it's just a tremendous time to sort of pursue those types of ideas if you have one right so so you've talked to rich you've uh landed a job at salesforce so, so again just to clarify you didn't land a job at salesforce because you knew rich you landed the job at salesforce because of your presumably your, your technical um you know competence and capabilities uh, knowing Rich certainly probably didn't hurt, uh, but mm -hmm. you went through the full Salesforce interview process, and and really Rich just kind of approved Salesforce as a company that might be good to work for. Yeah, I mean, always remember that that getting a job is is two. There's two approvals involved, right? The company has to want you, and you have to want the company. Um, so, Rich saying that he liked working at Salesforce was was great. Right. And it, and it was true. Like after I got the job, I worked there six and a half years. It was an amazing company to work for. I think it probably still is. Um, 
certainly much better to work for than Microsoft, although Microsoft's now a completely different company than it was at the time I worked for it. I think it's, uh, I, I still have a ton of friends there and they say it's great, but like um, not all companies are created equal. Um, a company that's great for someone else may not be great for you. Um, so just, you know, keep, keep that in mind. Like when you're interviewing, uh, you're also interviewing the company, like tr ask questions, try to figure out like, you know, what, what that company is about and how it matches with what you're looking for. Um, and you may not know that right now, but, um, you know, jobs aren't forever either. So, uh, you know, just, just again, go in with the learning mindset, learn what works for you. Uh, um, like, and then, so like, for instance, things that work for me, uh, like joining Salesforce, uh, I had been accustomed to going into the office every day when I was a Microsoft employee. Salesforce, I was the first technical hire in the Seattle area. There was no office. So I started working from home. And I thought that was super weird at first. And now it's been 12 years of me working at home, primarily at home. And I think going in the office is super weird. Uh, and I don't, I don't enjoy it. I really like, I get a lot of enjoyment out of working from home and not having to commute and the flexibility and all of that. Um, but that's not the right fit for everyone. Like I, I talked to a, a lot of coworkers and they, they, the office is preferable. It helps them focus. It helps them, you know, have serendipitous conversations with other coworkers. And like, that's where a lot of the creativity comes. So, you know, again, it's about finding what works for you. Uh, yeah. And on the like Salesforce uh, interviewing side, like, yeah, uh, everyone everyone has an interview <laughs> every company has an interview they're actually probably more similar than they are different uh, across the industry um there's really like i think microsoft and then google were highly influential in how interviews work in the industry overall uh so you're going to run into the same patterns over and over again if you want to talk about interview advice i can i i hire a ton of people so we can <laughs> i i could give a, a, a bunch of advice yeah, and um, so just kind of rounding out your career. So you spent roughly six years at Salesforce, and then what happened there? What? How did you finish up at Salesforce? Oh yeah, this was ridiculous. I, I loved working at Salesforce. I thought I was going to stay for a long, long time still, but um, I got married, um, and at my wedding was. Um, two employees of a, a company that was pretty small at the time called Lyft. Um, and so they kind of kept bothering me about, um, hey man, you should go work at Lyft. Come on, man, work at Lyft, it's gonna be cool. And I'm like, I'm not gonna leave Salesforce, um, but if you'll shut up, if I agree to interview at Lyft, then I will agree to that. Um, and I knew, um, not at my wedding, but uh, I, I know uh, the VP of engineering at Lyft. Um, so uh, from, he was, he was a previous boss of mine. So, you know, I talked to him and we set up an interview and I did the interview and they're like, wow, you really rocked that interview. We totally want to hire you. Um, here's an offer. And I'm like, see, I told you this wouldn't work out. That, in, that, that offer is nowhere close to what I'm being paid at Salesforce. Um, go away. And I thought it was done. Um, but then they gave me another offer and then a third offer. And at this point, uh, it was actually a very, very good offer. And, but I still thought Salesforce was a better company and a better fit for me, probably. Um, so I still went back to Salesforce and was like, hey, I'm getting offered this. Um, yeah, here's a piece of advice. Always try to play companies off each other to get more money, guys. It's right. it's basically free money. Right. Um, but um, so go back to Salesforce and Salesforce like does counter, but can't doesn't want to go as high as Lyft went. So I was like, oh, sweet. Um, so yeah, then so I end up taking in a in a fairly quick set of uh, movement. I went from thinking I'm never going to leave Salesforce to oh, I gave notice. Uh, two weeks later, I was not an employee anymore. And then three weeks later, I was an employee at Lyft. Yeah. And and again, I think one of the things that um, people kind of get lost in is 
thinking about total compensation, right? So, you know, Salesforce and Lyft now are pretty big companies, but, you know, thinking about things like stock options, insurance, you know, sort of all the adult things is uh, obviously something you want to consider as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's there's a ton that I think goes into employment decisions. Um, like at the time, let's see, at the time I had, I had been married for like three whole months. Um, we didn't know exactly where we wanted to live, but we thought, you know, it probably should be Maui. Um, and I took a job at Lyft and uh, that immediately forced us back to Seattle uh, for a while. Perfect. Um, then, um, yeah, like everyone obviously would think about the money, uh, but the weird thing was like Salesforce was a big public company at the time and Lyft was a fairly small private company um, that you know, obviously the writing on the wall was there that its path was going to be towards an IPO most likely. Um, that's not true of all startups, but, uh, you know, we didn't know when the I IPO would be. We don't know how to value the stock. Um, luckily, I, I did take those econ courses as part of my breadth requirements, so I kind of knew how to do forecasting. My my wife happens to have been uh, an econ major um, and worked in finance for uh, a number of years. So like that, that part we can kind of go do, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'd suggest it to everyone, but being able to do financial forecasting is a handy skill. <laughs> um, so yeah, right. I don't know. Um, uh, and then like at the time, I don't think I thought about like how many hours I'd have to work between the two jobs, it turned out Lyft was probably like 50% more hours. Um, so it was, it was definitely like, you know, a, a real shift for us in our lifestyle uh, that I didn't fully anticipate. And um, uh, so, yeah, I ended up working a lot more hours there and having a lot less like sort of time with my new wife and stuff like that, which was a little bit of a challenge. So now you're at Lyft uh, and you're there for about five years. You're on a pretty big team, right? I mean, we're not talking versus your current team at Okta, certainly. Oh yeah, I mean, so you know, Lyft Lyft changed a lot as I uh, uh, over the, the five and a half years I was there. At the time I joined, uh, there was about a hundred engineers. Um, I think our science team was then like another fifteen, maybe. Uh, my initial team got down to actually we, we had four engineers when I joined, but three of them uh, left the company immediately afterwards. So I was basically a, a team of one engineer. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, a few years later, uh, I was like the tech lead for our data and ML uh, organization. Um, we had close to 200 engineers and around like 240 data scientists. Um, so pretty, pretty radical growth in between uh like while while i was there and i don't, i mean i don't need to dive into it here but like there's there's a ton of challenges when you're trying to scale a company that quickly um but like obviously also the the type of work that i personally was doing between being the only engineer and being tech lead for 200 engineers uh uh changed a lot right so then you're at uh, Lyft for about five years. Why did you decide to to shift away from Lyft? Uh, I mean, one of the most interesting aspects of Lyft was going to be I had never been in a pre-IPO company. Um, and hey, Lyft did indeed IPO. Uh, you know, um, So basically, once we IPO and I kind of understood all that, I thought the company had gotten to a pretty stable point it was it's obviously uh you know not not a company that's going to fold anytime soon it's a, like a real real company uh i kind of started thinking about you know what's the next thing for me i spent a long time on this job search because uh i i i guess we we didn't cover this but like joining lyft also was a bit of a shift in my career because i did move away from working on like compilers and language runtimes into working on data and ML problems. And uh, I think the data and ML space is super interesting. So I wanted another job in the data and ML space. I knew that much, 
but uh, wasn't sure about team size, wasn't sure about like um, work-life balance, stuff like that. So talked to a bunch of companies about that. And the way I ended up getting the job I got uh, was again through a friend, um, had a coworker who I worked with at both Salesforce and Lyft reach out. He had already joined Okta. Um, he had this job role that he thought would fit for me. It was actually more back in the language runtime space. Um, I happened to know the like EVP of engineering and the chief software architect at Okta already too, because they're also ex uh, Salesforce people. Um, and I chatted with them and they actually were like, Hey, we actually have a really small data and ML like team but we need someone to come in who has like sort of been there and done that before and build the team up, which you'd be interested in that. Um, and I didn't even kind of realize I'd be interested in that until they mentioned it. And I was like, actually, that sounds, sounds great. Right. I can get back to being, you know, more of a doer than a sort of, you know, mentor style thing uh, that happens as you get up to like large organizations. Um, so yeah. Um, that's that's pretty much what I did. So now now I'm at I take this job at Okta. I went from like 440 people I'm kind of responsible for to more like four people uh, I'm responsible for, um, with the hope that we're gonna you know grow that and and you know make an impact on the company. Great. So you started your career probably like most people, right in the trenches, writing code at Microsoft, and then as you worked your way through various levels of Microsoft into Lyft. I'm sorry, into Salesforce and then into Lyft, you started to take on more of those managerial roles, right? And you did less, like when you left Lyft, for example, I'm assuming you were doing minimal coding. And as we discussed, spending most of your time in things like meetings to help guide, you know, architecture and resource management. Yeah, uh, that's a good segue. Like, uh, if it's not obvious, my, my career, uh, like I've been sort of in the development technical track the whole time. Um, I did let's see, for about two years, I was a, an actual manager at Microsoft. My, I, my, my team got up to about nine. Um, but after that, I, I did like managing, but I thought like, you know, I still like actually doing most of the technical work more. Um, so I sort of dove back into that and, and did that. And then uh, like gradually added people to my like tech, tech leadership thing at Lyft. Actually, well, at, at Salesforce, like like my team got up to about 60. And then at Lyft, my team got up to like, you know, even bigger than that. Um, and yeah, so like that takes you away from doing like coding style work and like, you know, low level design style work. And you start like a lot of your time ends up being like organizing like high level architecture stuff. Uh, and, you know, it just gets down to like what what you you feel fulfillment doing um you know i i i really like making a thing work i get a lot of enjoyment out of out of that style of work um so being a being a tl not not necessarily as fulfilling for me uh once it gets up to that scope but um yeah there's i i guess where where's the advice in this um find the role that works for you. Like everyone gets uh, sort of joy and fulfillment out of different things. So, uh, you know, try out things, uh, see what works for you. What, um, where, what, what makes you feel happy about, you know, like when I was manager, I watched my employees um, like succeed at things. And I found that amazing. It was actually kind of like being a TA. Like I, I really enjoyed watching them succeed and watching them grow and like learn things like that's, that's great. Like there's, there's a lot of uh, sort of joy in that style of work too. Um, and then I, it's, it's sort of worth talking about, like I've never had the role, um, but it is sort of uh, a reasonable part of what I do at this point is like the product side and the sort of like, like sort of pro product and program management style stuff of like, you know, how, how do you make sure you're building the right things? How do you, how do you make sure that like these big teams of people can actually coordinate and do stuff? Like, I think those are, those are really interesting roles too. Um, 
they're also very technical um so don't get caught up into like but i want to be super technical like it's it's all very technical the there's there's no role or knowing a bunch of technical stuff is not going to help you uh and there's so few people that understand things at this point um whatever skills you have trust me and like people are going to want to use to use whatever skill you have towards solving our solving the problems so um it's it's more about finding what works for you uh finding what you know makes you happy great and since we're we're talking advice what uh you mentioned interview advice what kind of are your top tips for interviewing um yeah so uh here I'll, i'll mention mistakes i've made um as a don't don't do this um I have gone into interviews and like I've said, because uh, a lot of times I'm interviewing with uh, at companies where I know people, I have gone in uh, probably a little too casually and thought, um, hey, I'm kind of talking to a friend, um, you know, so it's like, hey, it's an interview. Take it seriously. Um, put, put on your best face. Right. Uh, we did an interview at Okta a month ago and the guy, yeah, hey, all the interviews are through Zoom right now, but please don't be eating a bowl of cereal while we're talking to you. You know, treat treat it like, um, you know, something that you are fully focused on. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, another thing I've done that is not great is uh, not research the company before going into the interview please just go check out the company's website, read about them, kind of know something about the competitors, um, kind of know something about their size and what, what sort of space overall they're in. It will make a big difference. Uh, you, you, it, even if you're just faking it, um, please act really interested in the company and their mission. Because uh, trust me, the employees of that company are serious about that company and their mission. So um, they want to hire other people who are also serious about it. So um, even if you aren't serious at it before you take the job, you'll probably be serious if you get the job. So start doing that, um, you know, as part of the interview. Uh, And then probably not a big deal for uh, people who are currently in school but a thing that will start happening to you in your career is you will start forgetting things that you have learned. Um, so please go back and study some stuff before you interview. Uh, like the roles that I'm currently recruiting for involve programming. And many of the people, uh, and we tell people, we're going to put a coding problem in front of you. You're going to live code in front of like someone and this someone is is me right now uh, and i watch i watch people code and i'm like oh my gosh this is the first time you've been doing this in months isn't it um don't don't be like that um like get on leap code or one of those things if you haven't coded in a while and just just hammer out some stuff uh it makes a big difference it makes you look so much more competent and confident if you remember the syntax of the language that you're talking about and you can just um, basically make it look like you're typing out the solution, not having to like struggle through um, just remembering like, how do I parse a date time or how do I do a for loop type of thing in whatever your language of choice is for the interview. And, and just to clarify, you're not suggesting that just because you don't have professional experience in that particular language, that's the problem. It's just, have you used the language recently enough? So if you, you know, if you're looking for Python or something, if you've done Python on the side, maybe not professionally, that's not a problem so much as just you haven't done Python recently enough to understand the syntax. Right. Yeah. Like I, I think, you know, I, I coded professionally in Java for years. Um, but if you asked me to do Java right now, I'd be like, oh man, <laughs> like what, how do I like do these things again? I like a, a particularly language syntax. I probably remember most of it, but like a lot of the libraries I'd have to go look up again. It's right. just not a, it's just not a good look in an interview. Just right. go, just go re-familiarize yourself. If you've like, 
most of most interview questions are not going to be testing you on your language knowledge directly. So a casual level of knowledge is fine as long as you remember it well enough to where you're not like struggling to sort of like, and, and by the way, you're being timed too, right? You'll have like an, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, probably in most of these interview situations. Um, so the more, the more time you spend struggling to remember, how does that work in that language? The less time you have to think of the actual solution to the problem. So uh, it just allows you to focus on what's important. Great. Well, that's great advice. Well, Greg, that's uh, everything that I have. Did you have any uh, any final comments before we wrap up today? Um, I meant to touch on it when we started, but uh, and I don't, I don't know if you, I don't think you're going to end up using the video for this, but I did put on my awesome wash you shirt, which I'm showing you, but maybe no one else can see. But uh, you know, I'm still a proud Wash U alum, happy to have gone there. Um, like my parents continue to live in the St. Louis area, so I have seen uh, you know, the campus evolve over the time since I left. Um, but yeah, college is, uh, is a great, great time. Uh, you know, build those relationships with people. I think like colleges, like the, the friends you make in college are maybe, maybe the most important part, maybe more important than the curriculum itself. Um, so, uh, I know we, we touched on like the work-life balance thing. Like, I guess this is, this is education, life balance, like make, make, you know, start, start now thinking about that stuff, like figure out what works for you. What, what's the right balance for you? Um, I, I was like way too focused, I think on, you know, computer science, man. Um, when I was a student, um, nothing wrong with that. I think I learned a lot of stuff, but, uh, you know, don't, don't be afraid to try out different things and new things, uh, now and, you know, throughout the rest of your life. Great. All right, Gary. Well, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, Dante.